Today's reading is from Amos chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake, and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away, not one of them shall escape. If they dig into shell, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. If they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts and all who dwell in it mourn and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the water of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaphtar and the Syrians from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. Except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations. As one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, Disaster shall not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the last few weeks, Amos has laid out a bleak picture for us. God's beautiful community had become something ugly. The community that was founded on justice by a God who is just for the purpose of doing justice had become rife with injustice. And through Amos, we've heard the Lord's warning and his appeal to his people to return to him 
and to their neighbors. They can choose the way of life, which is the way of justice, or they can choose the way of death, which is the way of injustice. We are left with no neutral ground, no place where we can remain distant from the life and labor of justice and still retain God's endorsement. We see throughout this book that religion without repentance is always disastrous. We've said throughout this series that it's important for Christians to understand what the scriptures teach about justice and how the historic and global church has practiced justice if we are to be faithful witnesses in our cultural moment. And we recognize that there are biblical ideas of justice that modern Christians would reject as progressive. And there are biblical ideas of justice that modern Christians would reject as conservative. And yet, our hope is that in hearing the word of the Lord, you would respond with biblical courage, compassion, and conviction as you work this out here in D.C. The fact is, we should care very little whether our peers would look at our lives and label us as conservative or progressive. But we should care very deeply whether the Lord would look at our lives and call us good and faithful servants. That's what we want for all of you. It's what we want for ourselves. And this is how we plan to lead the church of God under our care and leadership. So we're at the end of Amos, and there's something important that must be said. And it's this. The Lord gave us the book of Amos, not just to show us that he is just or that he demands a life of justice from his people. He didn't just give us the book of Amos to show us that he's concerned for the vulnerable and judges oppressors. He gave us the book of Amos to lead us to Jesus. Union with Christ is the lifeblood of biblical justice. And it is only through union and communion with Christ that we will maintain a distinctly Christian approach to justice. So we're going to finish off our series in Amos by considering how the central truths of our faith lead us to the life of justice and sustain that life. And we're going to approach this text through two points. We're going to see justice through death and justice through resurrection. So let's look at the first point. Justice through death. Throughout this series, we've made note of the fact that the language of mourning, uh, of the funeral, has been used throughout the book of Amos. But in this final oracle of judgment, the final blow is delivered. God's people in their state of injustice and ungodliness must die. Look at verses 1, 9, and 10. I'm going to read these together, but you can look at it in the text. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake, and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, disaster shall not overtake us or meet us. Now you can hear a note of finality in these verses, can't you? 
all of their false religion with its superficialities will be judged. But this leaves us with a tension. If God's plan was to create a just people who will do justice on the earth, and yet Israel failed in this mission and rejected this calling, has God's plan been thwarted? The resolution to this tension is found in the hope of the remnant. That's what you hear in the language of the sieve. That's what you hear in the language of God moving through his people and judgment coming to his people, but to the sinners. That's who's getting judged. Those who are walking outside of repentance. Those who are refusing God's call and God's mission. There's still hope left for us in the theme of the remnant. And what we will discover over time and through the development of the rest of Scripture is that this remnant will be whittled down to one faithful Israelite, Jesus Christ, the true Jew. Jesus Christ would become the one through whom the eternal plan for a just community would be reborn and reestablished. Jesus embodied the life of justice and established his new community of justice through his death. And this is absolutely groundbreaking for our calling to justice as Christians because we've been united with Christ in his death. We have often paid lip service to the idea that there is a cross that we have to bear and that we must die with Christ. We must find our, our death in the death of Christ. There's some kind of participation for us in the death of Christ. We've paid lip service to it, but it's particularly at these crucial points, like at the point of justice, that we see that if there is no death in the church, there will be no justice through the church. It's for this reason that the Apostle Paul would say things like this, I die daily. He, he would say this because he lived his life in identification with Christ, who gave his life to make the world flourish. He saw his giving of his own life for the flourishing of his neighbors as a participation with Christ in his death. It was discipleship. It was following Jesus. Think about it. Jesus delivered the poor and fatherless. He was a father to the needy. He was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. He fed the hungry. He clothed the naked. He befriended the outcast and caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. He did all of this through his death for us and for our salvation. And Paul connected these dots and understood that union with this Jesus in his death meant nothing less for his followers. The servant is not greater than their master. And in Romans 6, Paul says this. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Do you see this? Paul has a particular understanding of our baptismal identity as Christians, and we are to own that baptismal identity, to live into that baptismal identity, and that identity must result in us dying to sin, particularly the sin of injustice and all of the various vices that feed our life of injustice. Listen, if we're going to be a just community, then we must consider that our old, unjust selves died with him on that cross. We must live into our baptismal identity. If you are a Christian, the selfish you died with Christ. The greedy, money-hoarding you died with Christ. The apathetic you, the cynical you, the fearful you died with Christ. That person is to be considered gone forever. Gone. But Paul goes on in that same passage to say, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you see how we get to this place from our passage? Israel had to die because of their unjust ways. But on this side of the cross, Christians must die to their unjust ways, because our union with Christ in his resurrection demands that we walk in newness of life. It demands that we walk in resurrection life. Which brings us to our second point, justice through resurrection. The book of Amos ends with a note of hope for us as we look to move forward as a just community. Look at verses 11 through 12. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Do you see where Amos is taking us? The Lord promises to resurrect the dynasty of King David, the house of King David, to install a just king on that throne once again who will lead a just community once again. Because if you're familiar with your scriptures, you understand that there was this abiding principle throughout the Old Testament that as it went for the king, so it went for the people. When the king was just, when the king executed justice, when the king did good by all of the citizens of his realm, all of the citizens flourished and they followed the king in his justice. And when the king was unjust, the entire kingdom fell apart in injustice. Everything hinged on the king. And what we see in this text is that Amos is telling us of a day where the dynasty of David, that had fallen into disrepair through the injustice of the kings, which resulted in the injustice of the people. This dynasty that had fallen into repair was going to be resurrected. And a just king was going to be installed on that throne once again. And the psalmist 
looked forward to this king in Psalm 72 when he said, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. And the psalmist was singing this entrance music for Christ the King before he walked onto the stage of this world. Because we see the fulfillment of that dream in Psalm 72. We see the fulfillment of that song in Jesus. And the idea is this. As it went for our king, so it must go for us. We must follow our king, who is a just king, who does justice for the oppressed, who, who works on behalf of the needy, who saves those who need deliverance. We are to follow him in that ministry. We are to continue his ministry as his church. This dynasty of David was resurrected in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now his church, in union with him, is called to continue this same ministry as his prophetic, priestly, and kingly people. We are a resurrection people called to bring resurrection life and power into a world that's filled with death and violence. This is a world that lacks vision, but we have a future of which to speak, don't we? We can speak of a future that is fully whole, filled with peace for all, no matter what background they come from, no matter what they look like, no matter what they grew up with, the future picture of the kingdom is what we have an opportunity to introduce right now in some limited form. We have an opportunity to be like the movie trailer of glory when it comes to justice. And this is one of the most powerful levers of our witness in the world. I've said it through this series, but I want to reiterate it. Everyone who cares about bearing witness to the world must care about justice. It's been said that the, the pastor is, is the person who has the Bible in one hand and the daily news in the other. And if you're looking at the daily news like we're looking at the daily news as pastors, we see a world that is crying for justice but lacks the moral and ethical foundations to actually establish justice. But we don't lack those foundations. We don't lack those moral guides or those ethical principles. We have the theological foundations. Everyone in our culture right now is, is fighting for justice, longing for justice, but the best of their tools are philosophical, sociological, uh, economic, and they're good tools, but they're not ultimate tools. They can't bring the kind of ultimacy that the scriptures can bring when it comes to justice, nor can they call out of their adherents near the faithfulness, near the, the full-orbed flourishing and compassion, near the forgiveness for those who have been wrong for a long time and are looking to turn around. We 
want you to have faith in the Lord and in the word that he has given us because the scriptures are a gold mine for those who are aspiring to live a just life and to work out justice in their places. We want to encourage you to return to the scriptures. We are a resurrection people that, that's called to bring resurrection life in a world filled with death and violence. This is how Peter puts it after he impresses the centrality of the resurrection upon his people. Peter goes in on the resurrection. He bangs hard. He tells them about their inheritance and what they have through their union with Christ in his resurrection. And then he says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Let us silence the ignorance of foolish people who fight against the idea of us pursuing justice, foolish people who only know mudslinging and name-calling because they have disagreements with certain ideas. Let us silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing justice, doing good to our neighbors, taking care of our place. Let us live as free people, as servants of God. And let me give two practical pieces as we wind this down. I want you to consider what the resurrection takes away and I want you to consider what the resurrection gives away to those who trust in Christ. Consider what the resurrection takes away. The resurrection takes away the power that opposition has to silence us. The, the resurrection takes away the power that Satan has to meaningfully accuse us. The resurrection takes away the power that fear has to control us. The resurrection takes away the power that sin has to paralyze us. The resurrection takes away the power that failure has to consume us. The resurrection takes away the power that death has to destroy us. But think about what the resurrection gives away. The resurrection gives away assurance that God's just plans result in glory. The resurrection gives away joy in such abundance that it can flow into the lives of our neighbors. The resurrection gives away confidence that we will be vindicated regardless of the way that we are currently treated, whether by non-Christians or Christians. The resurrection is vindication. It's the promise of vindication for those who are following Jesus in his just way. The resurrection gives away power to offer more of my yeses to my neighbors and more of my noes to myself. The resurrection gives living hope because it's centered on a living savior who imparts his resurrection life to his beloved for the life of the world. And if the church is to be a force 
for justice. If the church is to bear witness to the goodness and grace and love of a just God, it will come through our participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must never surrender the future of DC to the malicious, the power-hungry, the manipulative, or the profiteers of our age. The first Christians were preaching so much gospel and doing so much justice that they were accused of turning the whole world upside down. And it's my prayer that this would be said of Christians and of the church once more. I close with an old Puritan prayer. And that prayer went like this. May the world this day be happier and better because I live. Let's make this our prayer. May DC this day be happier and better because we live. May it be the case that it would be noticed if the Grace DC Network were not in DC anymore. And may it be the case that we aspire to do things that can only be done if God is at work. To, to dream big dreams, to cast big kingdom-sized vision, and to pray big prayers to a great God for the sake of our place and the glory of the Lord in D.C. Join me in these prayers and let us lean into this, this faith, this hope, and this love. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness, for your kindness to us. We thank you that you didn't leave us in the dark, but you communicated your word to us. And you have taught your people what it means to be a just people. You have given us the words of life. You have instructed us. You have shed light on our pathway in so many ways. And even though there are many nitty-gritty questions that we have, there are many questions that we have about how to work this out in a democratic society. We confess that, but we do know that you have given us your spirit, the spirit of glory, the spirit of Christ, to, to give us wisdom, to give us discernment and insight so that we may live godly lives in this present evil age, so that we may be light in the midst of darkness, that we may be a community of life in a culture of death, that we may be a community of givers in a culture of takers. Lord, we want to be a community of peace in a, in a world of violence. But we need your grace to do it. We understand that our just actions do not make us righteous in your sight. We understand that self-righteousness is the way of death. But Lord, we do ask that based upon our faith in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, who is our righteousness, that would, we would be a righteous people. That our justification by faith 
would yield in our lives just living, just relating to our neighbors. I pray, Lord, that the way we live would be shocking in the most beautiful kinds of ways. I pray that you would help us to bear the reproach of Christ where it is necessary and help us to start identifying the ways that we need to die for the sake of justice and the ways that we need to live into resurrection life for the sake of justice. Hear our prayers, Lord. Answer them. Have mercy on our neighbors and help us to do good to them. We ask that you would do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.